Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with your news. In community theater news, this year's Shawshank Prison Christmas musical has taken a tragic turn as the all-male rendition of White Christmas suffered a heavy loss when Boggs Diamond, playing Betty Haynes, suffered an accidental crippling. Warden and local theater critic Sam Norton says the loss will definitely hurt their ticket sales. Nobody could belt sisters quite like Boggs. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What up, constant readers? Today we are on part one of Different Seasons, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, if you're reading along. If you're not, major spoilers ahead. We are going to cover not only this first short story in this book, but also the movie, rather than how we've normally been doing it, where the movie is the last episode. We have Joshua Khan leading us through the discussion. All right, let's uh, let's jump into this for our part one different seasons. Hope springs eternal because Stephen King's a cheater. What? It, How so? Because it's spring, so it's the seasons. That's you, what you the different say, seasons do you consider wordplay cheating? <laughs> yes, wordplay is cheating. <laughs> That's a weird rule, but okay, I've, continue. I've decided it. I've said it. It is canon now. It's big shock. I've never read this book. Uh, neither have I. Have you? A long uh, time ago. I did not realize that the entire book was going to be told from Red's perspective. So mm. I thought that was interesting. So we we start off learning about Red and that Red is in jail serving three consecutive life sentences for murder because he cut the brakes on a car, killed his wife, her friend, and a child. I guess in his defense, he thought only his wife would be in the car. <laughs> yeah, in this did, murderer's defense. I, what did you guys think of it, that being our first impression and knowledge of this character leading us through the story? Well, that's a good point because like, it's easy to want to defend him because we got to talk about you cannot separate this short story from the movie. We we also watched the movie, and they're, they're just, in my mind, the entire time, you know, you cannot help reading through the book without thinking of the Morgan movie. Freeman. Or was that just yeah. me? You, you guys are staring at me like <laughs> I'm a crazy person. No, that actually, I couldn't stop reading the book in Morgan Freeman's voice. Yeah. I was going to ask yep. you guys that. And he does no wrong, so I'm like, he, no, he, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, oddly enough, I didn't. I actively tried to, tried to. You know, it's, you You think of him, that character as Morgan Freeman. And that was what I wrote when the book first starts out. He's like, yeah, so I, I murdered some people. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. Red's a fucking murderer. How have I never, I literally <laughs> well, never thought about it. Sure. I mean, he has, you don't go to Shawshank for, you know, mm-hmm. for something small, really. And for him to be somebody who's, got life sentences he had to do something yeah but, they- but i appreciate that it's not an andy dufran situation where he's like i'm innocent you know mm-hmm. something just happened he's just like yep i was a i was a kid yeah, basically i was guilty comparison between but, him and andy yeah and it's strange but it's strange i'd never noticed that they never say what it is that he did which makes sense i guess they were trying to make him more you're, sympathetic. You're talking because, about the movie, right? Yes, in okay. the movie. I'm sorry, in the, um, that's going to happen a lot. <laughs> in this, I feel like um, in the movie, I guess they wanted Red to be more of a sympathetic character. I wrote that down because too. in the book, like when it starts out, yep, I murdered my wife and this other woman and a kid. You immediately start out being like, okay, it reminds you. All right, you're in. This story is in a max security prison these aren't good people yeah which also says a lot about like informs a lot about andy because he is innocent he's the one good man wait he you guys believe he's innocent 
<laughs> yeah, that literally got me for a second. I'm like, wait, is there did, is there subtext that he's not? Did I miss something? It's very interesting to to pull you into this world and have Andy. Andy belongs here or is put here because he is so cold and detached mm-hmm. in his trial. Basically, the, the judge is like, not only like you are guilty, but I'm going to make you them. These sentences are back to back and you are going to max security because you are you're dead inside is basically yeah. how the judge comes down on him. Mm-hmm. So it he puts him with the worst of the worst. So you have this guy who is essentially a blank slate for all we know when we come into the story because we get to know him as Red gets to know him. Mm-hmm. That is just thrown into this world. Should we go through the murder itself? Yes. The trial, what sure. happened? Andy is our main character and he is on trial for murdering his wife and her lover, a a golf pro instructor yeah, Quentin. Yeah. So he is put on trial for this murder and there's a lot of evidence against him actually. And mm-hmm. as Josh, you mentioned the way Andy's personality is does not lend itself well in a trial. And he seems mm-hmm. very cold and detached and unremorseful. He never breaks. He never cries. He never shows any love for his now dead wife. He, and the it, note I made said was, Holy shit. Andy could not look any more guilty if he wanted to. Yep, because like, he and he had a gun. He bought a he, gun. People yeah. saw him buy the gun. Convenient, conveniently, air quote, threw his gun in the river so they can't find it. Mm-hmm. He told the bartender that he could read about the rest of his night in the newspaper the next <laughs> in day. In his defense, I say that to people all the time because I'm being <laughs> cute. So <laughs> when you're hammered, leaving someplace, <laughs> what are you up to the rest of the night, CM? Oh. You'll read about it tomorrow. (laughs) There's a lot of evidence against him because he also went to the golf pro's house to confront them, presumably, ended up Mm -hmm. not doing it. But he also followed them in a car he borrowed from a friend. So that kind of showed some premeditated type of planning and thinking. And Mm -hmm. it did not go over well with the jury. He tries to claim he was too drunk. And then they every time he brings up something that could be in defense the the prosecutor just throws it back at him and just leaves him just stuck in this place where he gets two life sentences and that is it and i thought it was an interesting difference between the book and the movie which honestly there are very few yeah but i i found it interesting that in the movie you you don't know if Andy is innocent or not. Like he yep. says, he goes into Shawshank and he says, I'm I'm innocent. I didn't do it. And Red says, Oh, everyone's innocent in here. Uh, you know, my my lawyer screwed me, which is straight from the book. But in the book, we are hearing this from Red's perspective, and he says basically right off the bat, I believed him. Mm-hmm. He just had an air about him, which leads into as good as the movie is, uh, one of the things that I don't think it did as successfully as the book is showing Andy as a mythological figure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Throughout the book, Red is telling this story and so much of the story happens outside of his purview. And he says that, you know, that, you know what, this part of the story is all hearsay. It's a uh, fifth hand tales and you have to weed out what's true from what's prison uh, folklore. But uh, here's the facts as I know them. And it it makes Andy seem like this this uh, folk hero, yeah. uh, which is my favorite part of the book, is Andy seems more than human. He is this personification of hope. Whereas in the movie, since we're seeing the whole everything happen, because Andy is just... Well, he's the main character. Mm-hmm. We're following him, and you don't get that mythical feeling. You know, yeah, that that does take a little away from it when you're following him every step of the way. Because now it's not just, oh, I heard about this thing. We saw it. Yeah, we know Andy did it. Like we know what happened. Yeah, now it's just he's just a really great guy. Yeah, they do try to do that in the movie mm-hmm. at the end after he's escaped and all the inmates are sitting around the table talking and regaling these stories of what we've seen, you know, spoiler, by the way, (laughs) 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 and it's, it just doesn't have the same impact 
as it does in the book, the way yeah. it's done. Well, and also in in the book, the story is for the most part told in a linear fashion, mm. but there is a lot of jumping around. Uh, like he, he mentions, I think there's a point early on where Red mentions that every, despite everything going on, Andy is continually denied parole, which is just another factor of him just resigning himself to prison life. And then he'll be like, uh, and then this happened, but we'll get to that. And then mm-hmm. we'll talk about some more and mm-hmm. then jump forward to something that happens 10 years later. And then, but we'll get to that <laughs> and jumping around. Yeah. He does this really cool thing throughout the story where he'll introduce a character and then immediately tell that character's like overall life story. And so we're meeting this character in the moment. I'll use, for example, this character. I don't even remember his name in the book, but he essentially in the movie becomes Brooksy. In the story, it's this guy that we meet briefly and he has a bird. He He's introduced briefly and then it immediately is like, yeah, he got out years later and uh, let his bird go and he died in a home. And the next day we found his his bird dead in a pile of laundry. Anyway, back to the story. He's not <laughs> dead yet. We just met him. And he does that to a number yeah. of characters. Several of the wardens, we, we find out, you know, eh, there was this warden. And he retired or got ousted yeah. years oh, yeah. later. This and warden I, I was good. Was this warden kind of sucked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Andy, we have him into prison society. We don't find out a lot about what happened to him very early on because he stays to himself. And he gets this reputation for... Uh, for being a snob, mm. kind of, and walking around like he's better than everybody. And that attracts a lot of negative attention. And he, you know, him not talking to people, it starts to get him um, beat up. And that's we, one way to put it. That, well, <laughs> it well, first, first we start talking, he starts talking about him showing up with bruises. Mm. And he's like, I don't know where those bruises are from specifically, but I think it was the sisters. And then Andy goes, like, his first conversation with Red about getting a rock hammer mm-hmm. and having, like, that he, it was, I think he calls himself a rock hound. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, like what a weird hobby for a banker. He's just going through the yard picking up, like, oh, the quartz and limestone. He just, like, name them off. And, he's, and he seemed to know a lot about it. Yeah. yeah. So, because at first I thought he was making that up to get his rock hammer. And then I was like, well, I don't know. He's he's naming all the rocks. That's more than I know. <laughs> that, so <laughs> That is true. I think maybe he's just doubling down on the fact that Red doesn't know the rocks. So he's, <laughs> he's just, just like, oh, yeah, names. diamond, quartz. <laughs> <laughs> diamond. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is coal. Uh, and just doubling down that Red's knock. 24 karat gold, yeah. platinum. <laughs> It's uh, all in this prison yard. <laughs> <laughs> Shiny out here. So it, Red gives him the deal. Um, I don't do weapons, so if you're planning on using this, that's not happening. I, I have a markup. If you can agree to all this and we're we're fine, then we can do business. If you fuck me over, we'll never talk again. Pretty mm-hmm. much the the long and short of it. And then he says it's going to cost him ten bucks. Great, willing to pay the ten bucks. And that's when we find out that Andy Dufresne smuggled five hundred dollars <laughs> into prison in his butt. Yep. How else? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did you say how else? <laughs> how else are you going to get out? You're not wrong, <laughs> but that was a real haphazard uh, commitment to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was impressed. You were impressed. <laughs> uh, that's not a, well, it, again, I'd only seen the movie before and they never address how he has money, money up for the, the rock hammer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it was the 1940s. I mean, like today, I would shove five hundred dollars up my butt if I got to have five hundred dollars. Can, can I quote you on this? Yes. <laughs> Listeners, send me five hundred dollars. On that note, we're starting a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so we now let's let's talk about the sisters because the sisters become a big part of the story that's about to happen as we know it. The sisters are a gang of, the book describes them or seems to indicate that they are good looking Mm -hmm. or charismatic in some way. Like they could have inmates who want to, you know, be with them, but they are rapists 
And so they they don't they're not interested in someone who wants to be with them. They're interested in picking on weaker people and exerting power over anyone who catches their eye. Yeah, I think the the direct quote, if I think this is what I put down, the sisters want to take by force what they could have for free. Right. And it's weird because, and this is, I'm going to be talking about both the book and the movie here for a second, because Andy Dufresne in the book is this mild, meek, kind of small guy with very neat, clean fingernails. Red makes a point to mention that. And you just sort of have this image in your head of him as someone who the sisters probably thought, yeah, that guy's easy pickings and you probably would too. Right. But they cast Tim Robbins, who is the tallest man in the world <laughs> and he's like taller than the main guard and everybody in the prison yeah and the sisters it was yeah, just and weird the, the guy that plays boggs the the main sister that's mm-hmm. like tortures andy for the first part of the story i was like that guy really because i thought he had he crazy menacing eyes. no yeah, he, he was, was a menacing nuts. dude yeah but yeah no i agree not that intimidating he was like, like size wise <laughs> yeah he looked wiry yeah but i think that uh, but that also appealed to the the description in the book that he he looked at while he was crazy he looked like he carried that charisma so I want to talk about Tim Robbins for just a minute. One thing I thought was cool about the actor is that despite the fact that he looks nothing like the character as described, I thought that he carried himself in a sort of meek, mild way, at least initially. He seemed almost like he was hunching over a little bit and seemed like an easy target. Yeah, he seemed... He portrayed that. Delicate Mm -hmm. in in that state. So... We establish that this he he fights them off, but the there's four of them, one of him, and eventually they they get the better of him, and that's just how it goes. And I, I wrote this quote down about Andy just after that happened, and that he was kind of quiet, but they he never showed what he never let it like break him because mm-hmm. nothing breaks Andy Dufresne, mm-hmm. and he says. Eventually, you have to look at your face in the mirror again and decide what to make of yourself. And I thought that was such a, a powerful statement to of, of the decision that Andy makes. Because Andy makes the decision that this keeps happening to him for about two years. It's mm-hmm. like a consistent thing in his life. But he never stops fighting them. Mm-hmm. There's never a single time where he gives up. It speaks to Andy Dufresne's main character trait. Like, if you boil down Andy Dufresne as a character, he is persistence personified. Yeah. Uh, It's um, the theme of the whole piece is the power of persistence. Just, uh, we see it later in um, sending the letters to the Senate. We see it later in, um, there's a part where he says, he asks one of the wardens, what what happens? You took a conc- block of concrete and a single drop of water fell on it once a year for a million years. Yeah. And that sums up Andy Dufresne as a character. That constant, yeah, that constant drive and... That he sets his mind to something and he mm-hmm. accomplishes every single thing. Even if it takes a very long time. And he has that time. And mm-hmm. what what else could he be doing with it besides being productive? I, I feel like yeah. that's, yeah, you're right. That's his defining trait. It's just, it's what made him such an impressive character to me is that I think about it and I'm like, if I was like, okay, I want to improve this library. It's going to take how long? Screw that. Never mind. <laughs> like, I'm going to give up on this immediately. The, the, that unbreakable persistence is what makes him an awesome character. Yeah. I Maybe because we talked about how the book kind of jumps around in time. Maybe I missed something. And maybe you guys can fill in this blank. But they do something a little different uh, when we come to the, the end of the time when the sisters... Uh, basically start leaving they leave andy alone right Mm -hmm. in the book it says that uh in in the movie it's the in the projector room and he has a the real and he the diamond pearl is what he calls the 
the weapon. He has the shiv that he has mm-hmm. that he's going to use on him. And Andy has basically is like, I'll bite your dick off. That's yeah. what's up. And like, that's it. And in the book, I believe they, they beat him within an inch of his life. So he goes to the infirmary. All four of those sisters go into solitary. And then while Andy is in the infirmary, Boggs is nearly beaten to death and mm-hmm. leaves Andy alone. Mm-hmm. But they don't say they don't say who did it in the book, do they? They don't. So in the movie, it's the in the movie, the it's, captain yeah. guard guy, Hadley. 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 Yeah. yeah, he does that. But in the oh, book, right. they I can't remember if Red alludes to the. I, I think he's trying to say that Andy paid somebody to That's take right. care of it. Yes. Well, I thought it was both times. It was because of. Um, him getting on the roof duty because they at some point in both the book and the movie red and andy get put on a duty retarring a roof of one of the buildings in the prison and hadley who is a much smaller part in the book and a much bigger part in the movie who is this guard First, I have to just say the the writing in this book I love. Uh, Stephen King. This was an amazing example of Stephen King boiling down someone's personality in one quick paragraph. Is he introduced his Hadley with the sentence Hadley had gotten some amazingly good news, so he was griping about it. <laughs> <laughs> one sentence. Yeah, like immediately know this character. Uh, he's complaining about tax problems, and he had gotten a windfall because his brother had died. And he's complaining that the the government's going to take a bunch of taxes out. And Andy walks over, breaking decorum, and says, hey, if you give all your money to your wife, they can't tax you. And so he gains the favor of the guards and gets the guard to buy all the roofers some beer. In exchange for him doing the paperwork. In exchange for him doing the paperwork. And so I believe that's why in the book it, it doesn't go into as much detail as the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why they, they're just like, after that, he becomes the guard's bookkeeper, essentially. He starts doing these uh, financial homework for all the guards. And that's why the guards are like, hey, sisters, leave this guy alone. And see, and I wasn't sure because because of the way that Red jumps kind of mm-hmm. back and forth with that storytelling mm-hmm. in, in order... He says the end of the sisters, like the end of the sister section of the story. Then we talk about the roofing. Then then the roofing thing starts. Yeah. But maybe as he's, maybe those stories yeah. are overlapping at the same time. My, my impression was that Andy, instead of using the rock hammer, used some of that 500 he smuggled. Yeah, well, yeah there's, <laughs> right. a, there's a lot of that. That yeah. there are things that he's like, he gets them not to toss his cell yeah. by mm-hmm. paying off people. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's, it's, those, it's those little things that you can't fit into a movie because yep. it would be a waste of time yeah. but it's just like it's such a cool little detail of mm-hmm. like the way he strategically spends that money and makes his life easier but i do love that scene on the roof the fact that andy starts with do you trust your wife and both reading the book and watching the movie and he goes, do you trust your wife oh no andy that's a terrible way to approach that guy that that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth <laughs> Like, oh, that's a bad choice. Now I understand why you went to jail <laughs> yeah. for murder you didn't commit. It reminded me. It were re- on the stand. It reminded me a lot of uh, Thaddeus Beaumont from uh, <laughs> the Dark Half, being like, "Oh man, I wanted to murder Richard Cla- or, right. uh, Clausen, Frederick, Frederick Clausen. God damn it! <laughs> oh, nailed it. All right, but yeah, it's it's that like ultimate put your foot in your mouth moment like dude God, that's not how you approach somebody who legit almost throws you off a roof i think that's just the way his brain works he's not thinking about okay what am i saying how is that coming across how do i need to build what i'm going to say to work best for me it's just like thought mouth go yeah, yeah he doesn't have the 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 prison mindset he thinks of himself as a free man the mm-hmm. entire time that's, that's the way true. The way uh, Red describes him is he he's he wears his invisible coat of uh, self pride. That yeah. even though he's in this place, that's such a good description of that too. Just, yes, and especially in the movie when they they illustrate that by the showing just the way he struts across yeah. the yard while everybody mm-hmm. else is huddled together and head down. He's just like he doesn't have a care in the world. Like mm-hmm. he could just go home at the end of this and 
Like clock out of prison for the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's also illustrated. I, I love the whole rooftop sequence. Yeah. It's it's an amazing scene. And when I think of that move the movie, there's so many amazing parts, but that's one of the parts that I always think of first. Mm-hmm. And in the book, um, going back to that the Andy is a myth uh of a of a person. He's not he's more than a person. He's this mythical being. There's a part where Red is talking about how all this happened, and there were only a handful of men on this roofing crew. But he forces Hadley's hand and gives him this financial devi- uh, advice, and Hadley gets the beer for the roofing crew, and they spend this day. They have uh, what twenty minutes to mm-hmm. to drink yeah. this beer like free men, and Andy is sitting in the shade watching them all enjoy the beer and smiling. And he says uh, something along the lines of, um, it's amazing how many of us remember him that way. I thought there were nine or ten of us, but by 1955 there must have been 200. <laughs> the way you looked cool. at, uh, listened to it. Yeah. And I love that. That um, that moment of it just feeling bigger than life. Yeah, it's it's a moment etched in infamy. Everybody who, at, at a certain point, everybody who hears the name Andy Dufresne will think of that story by the way it spreads. <laughs> so as a reward for his tax service, where he starts you know, doing everybody's taxes, starts setting up trust funds, he is rewarded by the protection from the guards. They also take him off laundry duty and they move him to the library that he, over the course of his time manages to transform from a closet into a three-room library. The best in all of New England. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like in the movie, they show him writing letters trying to get money. But I like how the in the book, it's the progression of like, they sent him $200. Then they started sending $500. <laughs> and, and then it turned into $1,000 a year if you would just stop writing. <laughs> That's something. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you guys how you felt about this. Uh, the difference between the way the story and the movie depicted the length of time, the passage of time, because time is such an integral part of this story. It takes place over decades. Right. And in the movie, you know, they can use music cues and uh, age makeup. They, they gray Tim, uh, Damn it, Tim Robbins, thank you. Uh, They gray his hair, and they give him the old dad glasses. (laughs) Right. uh, Make him look older. But how how did you feel the book did? Yeah, I feel like like the book definitely does uh, a great job, especially with having read to tell the story, the jumping around a little bit. Mm -hmm. It kind of of confuses things, which I feel like that's what – long time does Mm -hmm. is all of these things at a certain point you just remember all these things happened maybe the order is not super important but this is all this is all history now Mm -hmm. and uh i felt like it was uh really evident in the book and it felt a little lacking in the movie yeah Mm -hmm. which is funny because the book is a short story and the Mm -hmm. movie is what was it a hundred and it's like two almost two and a half hours yeah. Four hours if you're watching it on television. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. I think yeah. it, especially having read Tell It, it because he's also a lifer and mm-hmm. he's been there even longer and he stays mm-hmm. after Andy. And so I think that that sort of helps to add to that sense of a great amount of time passing. And like like Josh said, the the small details that you can't fit into a movie, like the fact that in the story we go through three administrations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there are three mm-hmm. wardens that just come and go. And aren't... I swear that one did not age. <laughs> yeah. The one in the movie the other thing. Had, he did not age no. yeah. a day. <laughs> Tim Robbins like gets gray hair and the other guy. Uh, it like same thing with the guard. They don't bother yeah. aging the yeah, guard at all. Interesting. But uh yeah, we we see these wardens who essentially by the fact that it takes so long, the story takes place over such a long period of time, don't matter. Mm-hmm. They're just 
it's more of the same. Yeah, they come and they go. They come and go. I thought it was really interesting. The second warden, they talk about uh, Stamus. Yep. Um, they describe him as... <laughs> CM made a, no- uh, made a face as though, I can't believe that Ben got that <laughs> name right. <laughs> That's so the sorry. exact read I had yeah. on her face also. I, she was like, I, all right. I thought I was giving Josh a slide. He got it. <laughs> <laughs> the Ben got me. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, uh, Stamus, so the second warden Stamus is described as being this cruel taskmaster that him and Hadley rule uh, Shawshank with an iron fist and there are there are killings. They, they yeah. suspect yeah. that there were midnight burials on Shawshank. But that's all we get. Hardly any of the story takes place or has to do with that. Yeah. It is treated in such a way of being like, yeah, for eight years, it was hell on earth in this. But in the length of time, time and Shawshank moved so slowly, it meant nothing. And I loved that. Yeah. There were a couple times that I, I was trying to, in my head, to keep a calendar of like, all right, how how far have we gone now? Like trying to keep track of when they'd mention years, I would try to make a note of the year. Like, all right, now they've been in jail this long. And yeah, things like that of just where they can just gloss over almost a decade because nothing pertinent to the story we're telling happened. And it mm-hmm. was just miserable. Like, hey, everything sucks. And that's it. That's all we get. Yeah. But uh, speaking of the, the changeover of Wardens, that's where we get in the book one of the the first big clues as to what is That's happening right. with Andy because it's in this changeover and all this time Andy's had his own cell and mm-hmm. he's been by himself because of all of the protection he gets and the special favors he gets from the warden the new warden comes in new warden doesn't know how things are done he doesn't know <laughs> that Andy gets special treatment so Andy gets his first cellmate in a, a decade mm-hmm. if not more and when uh, they talked to his cellmate him talking about that he was quiet uh and he he never made fun of him because he had uh, like a cleft palate i believe and Mm -hmm. he was a big tall native american guy and he just kept saying that it was drafty it was always cold in that cell and never never talked about it Mm -hmm. and it's dropped in the story just in passing, yeah. it's not made a big deal of. So that's another question. If you guys had not seen the movie before reading this story, would you have any idea that this was a jailbreak story? Nope. No, and yeah, I've... and that it's amazing. For me. <laughs> I was I was thinking about that while I was reading that passage because I knew what was coming. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, ha, that's <laughs> cool. I know what it is. <laughs> And I, I wonder to myself, well, if I hadn't, if I didn't know this, mm-hmm. would that line have, because he, doesn't he repeat it? Doesn't he kind of? Later he, he mm-hmm. brings yeah. it back. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And it would have, it would have been a really neat surprise had you not had that information. Yeah. Beforehand. And there's lots of little things like that. Like uh, immediately after that, he's talking to Red about his posters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a, at first a Rita Hayworth poster and then he changes it to two different. He has a Marilyn Monroe poster, uh, Linda Ronstadt. And um, he's talking to Red about why he uses these, po- has these posters. And he says, you know, um, I-, I just like to think that um, it looks so, so peaceful. Like it's a look at the outside world. I almost feel like I could step through it. And, yeah. And be free. And it's like. <laughs> I see what you did there, Stephen <laughs> you, King. You clever son of a you bitch. clever bastard. In comparison to book and movie, there is one thing that stood out to me in this part of the book, is that we find out that Red is a redhead. Oh, He's yeah. Irish. He is, he is Irish. <laughs> because the whole book, I'm reading it mm-hmm. in Morgan Freeman's voice, because the the book never specifically nope. really... Red doesn't really take the time to describe himself, because he doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't need to. He's not the point of the story, Mm -hmm. but that moment where he takes a a time and he's talking about seeing an old man looking back at him in his reflection, how his big lush red hair is no longer red. And I made a note like, oh my God, Red's a redhead. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's so much sense. I thought it was some morbid, like they call him red because he murdered three people. (laughs) Like, you know, blood. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, he never discusses the ethnicity of any of the characters. No. I, I spent the whole book reading Andy Dufresne as black, so. Really? No. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but I could have. <laughs> uh, oh, I walked right into that. <laughs> I really did. Uh, so then we meet uh, Tommy Williams, who becomes a major player in the story because he gets picked up for a, a beanie for... Uh, two years serving at, at Shawshank. The worst thief in the world. <laughs> that Oh, God, that back and forth is one of my favorite things. Like, have you thought about trying a new profession because you're a terrible thief? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, that I really like that character because he's, he's just mm. this young kid. And I can't remember if he has a wife and a kid on the way in the book, but he does in the movie. Yes. Mm. And so Andy in the process of building up this library and getting all this funding and getting books also has educational materials. And he's helped a number of people, not just with their taxes, but a number of inmates with getting their high school equivalencies. And this kid comes to him and he gets his as well. Andy tutors him. And so he really he's really taken with Andy. He really likes him. And when he finds out his story, it it was really cool, um, both in the book and in the movie. But I really liked Morgan Freeman's reaction to him as in the movie as he's telling him why Andy's in there. This guy shared a cell with the man who actually murdered Andy's wife and the golf pro elwood elmo blatch (laughs) why they changed the name to elmo in the movie who Uh, knows why would you do that maybe it was somebody's cousin or brother or (laughs) something in production there was a a best boy on on staff of the movie named elmo Elmo. we're gonna honor you by naming this murderer after you so what do you guys think of the major change with this character this kid and what happens to him in the book versus what happens to him in the movie because Holy shit, rarely I, I feel right. is King outdone. <laughs> and that, this was <laughs> yeah. the one part of the movie I did not remember. Okay, well, before we get to that, we kind of have to get to how they changed uh, the character of the warden as well. In, in the book, as we've said, there's a number of wardens. In the movie, there's just one, Samuel Morton, who is described in the book as this um, extremely devout, Baptist man who uh, makes everyone in the prison have a make sure they have a New Testament uh, in their cells and uh, is the same way in the in the movie mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the movie. Uh, of course, the famous line: "Put your trust yeah. in the put, Lord; put, your ass belongs to yes. you." Yeah. He's he's the stereotypical Stephen King character, mm-hmm. super religious, super evil that you want to strangle. And while reading the book and watching the movie, I could feel my blood pressure rise <laughs> when we get yes. to the scene that uh, you're about to talk about because it. I had to say a number of times, "I hate this guy." Okay, <laughs> you yeah, did he's allowed a terrible <laughs> character. And such an amazing villain. You you just hate him so much. I think the best way to do it is we'll say how this how this plays out in the book. Okay. And then how it plays out in the movie. Right? Perfect. Sure. So in the book, Andy finds out that this Blatch is the real murderer. And he goes to the warden and he tells him the whole story. And the warden essentially says, Wow, that's that's an amazing story, and I can't believe you believe it. And justifiably, Andy flips out. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) You dumb idiot. Like, this is this will get me out of prison. I'm wrongfully imprisoned. And the warden is just like, nah, let's not talk about it now. And he throws him in solitary for 20 days. And I even made a note. I'm like, why? Because he's his pet. Yeah. And. I think his mistake, Andy's mistake, not that he could have gotten the warden Mm -hmm. to agree to help him investigate this in any case, but when he mentions that he will, you know, if he gets out, he'll keep quiet about what's been going Mm -hmm. on, about the money laundering and stuff. And for a a person like the warden who thinks that he has this real refined moral compass Mm -hmm. to verbalize to verbalize a discrepancy with that, a contradiction to that morality, mm. that was where he went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's the main difference between uh, the book and the movie is the warden's motivation changes. In the book, his motivation is just because Andy's a sinner. He's in prison because he deserves to be, goddammit. And he's just kind of a dick. Mm -hmm. That's his whole motivation. And he throws Andy in the hole and he transfers Tommy to a different prison just to get him to shut up because he wants Andy right under his thumb. Mm -hmm. And the prison that he transfers Tommy to has a work release Mm -hmm. and furlough so he can see his child and have opportunities to start working before he gets out. Mm -hmm. Giving him the sweetest deal that convinces like there's no way he would ever speak up on the behalf of some stranger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then we come to the movie I had also forgotten how this plays out in the mm-hmm. movie, but I could tell <laughs> as yeah. it was happening because they uh, a guard comes to get him. They take him outside and it's dark and the warden is standing in the shadows. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is not like this is not going to be a conversation about, hey, let's make this deal. So he starts talking to him and he's like, oh, I'm I'm real. The warden's saying I'm really torn up about what's going on with Andy. I want to do the right thing. I need to know. Are you telling the truth? And he's like, yes. Okay, I need to know if you are willing to testify. He's like, yes, absolutely. And he's like, all right. That's all I needed to know. Mm-hmm. He walks away, signals to the guard. The kid kind of looks up and behind him. And then, boom, he gets shot. Like, was it Several three times, times in the chest. Yeah. yeah. He gets killed. Yeah. It's, it's so sad. It is tragic. And the warden's motivation turns into it's to shut Andy up about his embezzling and his like racketeering work that I he's think doing. It's the same as in the book, though. He shuts him up to keep him under his thumb. He's making him rich. And, and in the book, Norton says that he also thinks that Andy needs to learn humility. I know yeah. you're innocent, but you still walk around here like you know yeah your head honcho you i think it's good for you even if you're an innocent man you need to learn Which yeah is i what felt makes like him so so infuriating oh in the book it, well exactly and i think i just think that in the book his his motivation was more more uh based on emotion morality. and morality mm-hmm. and just cruelty almost Whereas in the book, it is streamlined, or in the movie, it is streamlined. And I think because it's a movie, it was a, it's a, it's a brilliant choice. It's a brilliant way to change it, to streamline it into a, a movie narrative. It's just, you miss out on uh, some of the nuance, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you miss, you miss the ramping up to Norton, like, cause you don't know Norton's going to be a monster yeah. right away when you meet him. Like, he is doing, like, you know, letting Andy do some good mm-hmm. things, and then he just takes takes his turn. <laughs> they make up for it yeah. by shooting that kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they also, the, the difference being that in the book, it's 20 days in solitary. In the movie, he is in solitary for two months. Because mm-hmm. he gives him, like, an extra 30. Oh, because he comes days. to see him to tell him that the kid you know tried to escape and was shot and killed and yeah. it was such a tragedy he only had a year left and he tried to escape yeah mm-hmm. that seems fucking reasonable oh and he just got his high school diploma yeah so that, like the scene right right before that was him passing his test but anyway yeah so he tells andy and andy says this this all stops i'm not doing this anymore and he's like yeah you are how about another 30 days to think about it yeah so twisted and then andy gets out of solitary and it's, this is another example of in the book being able to just kind of uh, make that time feel slower because it is four years before mm-hmm. the next major thing happens mm-hmm. where Red talks about this is the first and only time in Shawshank that Andy Dufresne looked defeated mm-hmm. and that he was quiet and he was very withdrawn. And four years later, he comes to Red and says that he is going to go to Zehuatanejo in Mexico. That is definitely going to happen. And when he gets out and, you know, he's he's got his life back, and this is his dream. He's going to do this. Mm-hmm. And he talks about it so definitely. And Red is obviously like kind of taken aback by like, all right, he's going a little crazy. And I think what's interesting in another 
division from the book to movie is at this point is when Andy is basically like, yeah, before I, when I knew I was coming to jail and they hadn't done anything yet, I liquidated all of my assets. Mm -hmm. I set up, I had a friend set up a fake identity complete with license, social security card, birth certificate. Peter Stevens is out there with a bank account and he's got, you know, $370,000 in the bank. It's just right there. I loved this section. Uh, the, the metaphor he uses, there are two kinds of men. Uh, imagine a house full of uh, beautiful artworks and you hear a hurricane is coming. There are two kinds of men. The kind of man that says, nah, the hurricane will miss me. There's no way that they, it could destroy all of this. And then the kind of man that gets all his shit together and moves out of the way. <laughs> and he is that person. Yeah. He has done all of this work. And uh, you get that feeling of like, okay, he's up to something. Yeah. And he's got, he, he mentions there's a key in a wall in a field, uh, you know, talks about the, the volcanic rock that was on his desk. That key goes to a safety deposit box. And that, and hey, and when I do this and I'm there, you know, when you get out, you've got a job. Come work for me. And Red is just like, uh, yeah, sure thing, buddy. Uh, you doing all right? <laughs> like, yeah. obviously not like not being able to comprehend the the emotional and logistical unloading that Andy just did. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, too, because in the in the movie, his motivation seems to stem from that incident and his stint in solitary and what happened with the warden. And in the book, it it comes about when it does because they're going to like revamp the um, sewage system on that mm-hmm. part of yeah. the prison where his cell is. And if they do that, they're going to find this who knows how deep at the at that point hole that he's been digging for however many years. Well, that's why I thought when after we they've talked about the escape, Red starts uh, he's hypothesizing on Andy's motivation because he can't ask Andy. So he's just kind of wondering. And he says that he thinks that his motivations and decisions were made between uh, him being afraid of being caught in the act. And then that being it uh, afraid of being paroled. And as he's <laughs> on his way out, they find out what he did and bring them back in or the fear of being free because that time in that four year gap, he kind of thinks that any time in that four years, Andy could have left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he had his way out, but he didn't take it and we'll never know why. Mm-hmm. Which but- leads us, I guess, to the subject of jailbreaks. <laughs> Are yes. you going to talk about how <laughs> I'm going to about- die if he was really <laughs> in that that pipe with all this the fumes would have killed him okay i'm done (laughs) (laughs) oh first i just wanted to talk about how that's the best segue ever uh yeah the direct line is they had the siwatanejo talk and the there's a paragraph break and that's the line so this brings us to the to the the subject of jailbreaks and it's the first (laughs) time like up to this point it's still just been little clues yeah and i love that segue so much and uh red goes on to tell the history just little stories about jailbreaks throughout the years at at shawshank which was just a great little touch Uh, i love that segment that like 10 people in all of shawshank history have ever successfully I really liked the one where they're it's through the inside out program where the inmates get jobs yeah. outside of the prison. <laughs> and some of them just pick their moment, set down their shovel or whatever tool they're using and walk away. And nobody notices. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that like, cracked yeah, me up. That would be so exhilarating. It's <laughs> <laughs> real ballsy. But we have uh, we, we find out in 1975 after 27 years in jail, Andy Dufresne escapes Shawshank the they uh, get them all in line to go to breakfast they get the count the count's not right they think something like uh it, it'll be fine like there's mm-hmm. you know someone someone's messing with us yeah they or they say that it's or usually or someone's sick. sick or someone killed themselves <laughs> yeah. or died but then they they let them go to breakfast then bring them all back like all right now joke's over. Let's do this, mm-hmm. and do, and they count him again. Still missing someone, and so it's all this time where 
if they had gone after it like they do in the the movie, mm-hmm. they do it right away. If they'd done it right away, they would have had that that little bit of a jump start on. But the fact that they're just like, ah, we'll figure it out, just adds to his head start and I infuriates the warden even more. And <laughs> Norton tears the poster off the wall and sees that hole. And it is reading it and how excited I was to be reading about it and then how excited I was seeing it happen. Mm-hmm. It's oh god, it's so good. It's so they're so satisfying. To I see love that. the fit that he throws in the book. Yes, and he's trying to command this guard to go through that hole, and he gets <laughs> yeah. he gets like so far, <laughs> and he's like, "I am done. Yep, <laughs> you it, cannot make me do this." He puts his gun turns, down and walks out. Yeah. <laughs> it turns into like I, I imagine it as a Looney Tunes. Like it's almost like mm-hmm. he's a uh, Yosemite Sam. Like you will get on in there, and like I imagine just firing guns up in the air. Gert, like, darn it! Throwing his hat down yeah. and jumping. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, we find out that Andy has over decades since uh early or as early in the book as when he uh got the Rita Hayworth poster. So he was in four years. He escaped after twenty seven years. So for twenty three years. Like it took him twenty three years to break through that wall. Mm. Yeah. That That's is an amazing insane. amount of patience. Oh, and the other, like they they show it at the end of the movie, but they talk about it early on about how he would uh, walk through the yard and sprinkle like the mm-hmm. stuff out, and everyone's just like, "Oh, it's from the the rock the stuff dust that he's doing." Kicking up from yeah. his footsteps, but no, it's the walls in his cell, and it's he's jiggling it down wall. his leg. That was really cool. And it's it's also cool again that we're seeing it, we're hearing it from Red telling the story. We're not seeing it from Andy, so him mm-hmm. being like. Uh, if I know Andy, he, you know, the chunk came off the wall. He researched what it was. Um, at a certain point, he was just going at it. And then when there was something on the other side, I bet that's when he looked up blueprints. Mm-hmm. Like, I mm-hmm. th- I assume this is all the things that he did. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Andy's mm-hmm. super smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he gets out. And this is uh, the movie obviously has. This is one of the most iconic parts of what is already a super iconic movie of Andy crawling through the sewer pipe mm-hmm. through literally what's the line uh Andy Dufresne the man who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean the other side yeah. coming out on the other side and and taking off his clothes and triumphantly standing in the rain is an amazing scene but I love that in the book no one knows that yeah. yeah because it is it's red story and it it's the final part of the myth of andy mm-hmm. dufresne is he literally disappears no one knows how he got how he got clean clothes how he got to his lockbox key he, he's just gone like a ghost yeah mm-hmm. And, yeah, because the guy who set all that up for him when he was when he before he went in died while he was in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts of and a brilliant way Stephen King uses to show the passing of time is that while they were talking about Siwataneho and Andy tells him about this fake identity he he and a friend set up casually Andy said, you know, uh, this friend of mine, the only guy who stood by me during the trial helped me set all this up. Uh, while I was going through the trial. And Red says, wow, he must be a good friend. And Andy casually, it's one line, he says, yeah, he died six years ago. And that one line just, like, hit me super hard. Like, he's been in for so long that, like, this guy (laughs) who was obviously super important to his life, his last remaining friend... We've never heard about him. And yeah. he died six years ago, unimportantly. That that hit me super hard. And he then Red goes on to talk about how Andy had, to, you know, after his friend died and before he escaped, he had to sit there with the knowledge of, okay, I mm. don't have this connection to the outside. What if they decide to build something in that field where that rock is? Like, there mm. were so many things that could have gone wrong, him not having that connection so he had to sit with that knowledge and wait and wait and wait for 
I don't know how many years is said in the book if it said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there's so much that yeah, just the, so much that could have gone wrong. Like one shift in any direction in this plan mm-hmm. would have fallen apart. So we this is also we find out uh, once after Andy's escaped, they say that Norton resigns and he is gone. And then that red finally gets paroled. Mm-hmm. He gets paroled after 37 or 39 years. Can we talk about the the book and movie for this part? Because I thought it was beautiful the way they sort of mimicked how Brooks initially, mm-hmm. when he got out, what his life was like on the yeah. outside. And then when Red gets out, he follows in those same footsteps, but he makes a different decision than Brooks did. Yeah, it's that segment is completely it's one of the few parts of the movie that is pretty much made up whole cloth yeah because they don't talk about what he goes through in that much detail Mm -hmm. in the book brooks is a very small part barely mentioned Mm -hmm. um and he he's he just uh he gets paroled and then he, he goes off and he eventually dies yeah but in the movie we get this beautiful section where it's told from it cuts to his uh him telling the story yeah and he's so he gets this job at a grocery store and he's this old guy with arthritis in his hands and everything's moving so fast and he can't keep up and his manager is this young guy who hates him basically and he just doesn't understand the world he doesn't fit in And so he decides to take his own life and he's in this little apartment or motel. I'm not quite Mm -hmm. sure which. And he carves his name into the the wall near the ceiling. And then he gets up on the table and he hangs himself. And he he writes the inmates a letter, you know, basically telling them goodbye. Mm -hmm. And then when Red gets out, we see him bagging groceries at the grocery store. Young manager. He's asking to take a bathroom break and just sort of show. Uh, showcasing that he's institutionalized the parallel possibly yeah so he goes he goes into his room he carves his name so you see you see that table that brooks had Mm. used to end his life and from just a split second i was like is he is this gonna not go the way i think it is and then he writes you know it says brooks was here and so was red and he leaves yeah the only difference is that he had found the letter that Andy had left for him in a wall saying, you remember where I am, mm-hmm. come join me. He has yeah. hope. He is given hope by Andy and, uh, and a thousand dollars and a thousand bucks, which doesn't hurt. Uh, <laughs> something that I thought was very, uh, interesting that, so we, whenever we have, uh, a narrator for any of these, these stories, there are oftentimes where you just, you don't know how the story is being told exactly. Mm. And we find out that this is a handwritten story. Like red has been writing the story oh that we're God. reading. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> and he smuggles it out a hundred pages in his butt. <laughs> okay. So this and drove then, me insane. Well, and the thing that I love the most about it. So he's going to, going to keister this novel, uh, this novella. And, uh, and this get, is not on a USB, kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is like he talks about it's a pad of notebook paper. And he has the foresight to be like, you know, if they're, they might catch me with this, like, I'm going to try my best, but it might not work. <laughs> he goes through and changes the name of the town that Andy said he would go yeah. to in case yeah. they were to find it and read it. So that way they couldn't catch his friend. Yeah, like he that was, was like awesome. But it that... drove me insane, though, because like, why did you write this down in prison? You <laughs> dumb idiot. He didn't know he was gonna get paroled. Okay, just one quick question: mm. If you had a hundred pages, would you put them in your butt? <laughs> you can't spend a novella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. A weird. You didn't answer the question, Ben. <laughs> nice of you. I think it did. I think I did. Yeah, that that was very weird. The way because King almost like ends the story. He's like, "Well, that's what happened to Andy, and I'm gonna be in prison forever." Is that's that my, okay? Is that even possible, or am I super naive about 
how many things you can put in your bag. <laughs> no, okay. So he only shoves <laughs> no judgment. The, he only curious. shoves the pages with Ziwat Neho up his butt. That's what I thought. Oh, I thought doesn't shove a whole beam of paper up his butt. It sounded the way it was Jesus worded. Christ. I, I, I wrote down, wow, 100 pages, I and I thought $500 was bad. I impressed. Uh, anyway, yeah, the way the just the, the story is framed as this is him writing it down. Yeah, it was like, okay, why are you writing this in prison? Why did King write it like this? Because it's like, that's the story. And then there's a paragraph break. And he's like, well, I'm back. I never thought it's like, why do why write it that way? Sure. (laughs) You're the author. You could have just been like, so that's my story. I got out. uh, I'm writing this in a hotel room. Yeah. Uh, You're wondering how I got there. Well, I got paroled. And after I got paroled, I thought I'd write down this story because why give yourself it seems like Stephen King wrote himself into a corner and then was like put him in his wait he's in he's in (laughs) oh shit he's in prison why did he write this in prison I have to write a real ending and then like panic wrote the last 10 pages red is also a myth yes (laughs) now um I gotta say though the the note that he wrote uh, like really like choked me up reading the, when he reads Andy's note. The whole very ending really got to me. And I love that we don't know if Red mm-hmm. found him. Uh, it just, it goes that he's going to go. He's going to mm-hmm. take the journey. He doesn't know if he can get across the border, but he has hope that he'll find his friend. The final lines, the final five lines of this story, yeah, made me tear up is, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a fugitive from the law now. Uh, parole violation but I hope when I get to Ziwatneo I get to see my friend I hope I get to shake his hand I hope the Pacific is as blue Mm -hmm. as I dreamed I hope it's kind of bittersweet I have goosebumps right now (laughs) so good well in the movie you do see that his Mm -hmm. his hopes Mm -hmm. become reality and so I kind of I liked having that in the book and the book is not you don't know. It mm. leaves you with that question. And then the movie answers it. I like having those together. <laughs> that brings us to the end of uh, Shawshank. So let's go around and and rate this bad boy. We're going to do, let's do uh, story first. Oh, Are you okay? We, <laughs> yeah. We forgot to mention, what were the inmates wearing, Ben? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in, the in the movie. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Halfway through the movie, I was like, guys, how would you describe those shirt? those <laughs> prison shirt blue and chambray yeah and chambray-ish. uh anyway um yeah I'll, I'll give my my ratings for for both um it's gonna be easy they're the same i've never read this book story and this book was the first one that gave me the feeling i had when i was a high schooler reading a king story for the first time i couldn't put it down once i started it it was just perfect I loved it so much. I can't. I'm not even gonna bother. Five out of five. Wow. Uh, wow. Five out of five. Yes. Movie's pretty good too. Five out of five. Perfect. CM. Oh. We know what. Uh, we know what. Yeah. yeah. Right? Is even bothering? I guess I'll do it the same same style as Ben. Book and movie. They are so very similar, with just mm-hmm. a few minor changes that really work out well for the movie. The book is also very well written. This was like sort of that phase of whoa, Stephen King movies are really good. Like, they're doing everything right. I I love the characters, even though... Okay, so Stephen King made me like a murderer. A guy who killed yeah. his wife, his wife's friend, and her infant child. And I kept trying to hate him, and I couldn't do it. That sounds horrible. No, it, no. It's, it, it's, it's a credit to making a powerfully sympathetic character. It's, yeah. it's a credit that CM loves murder. That's all. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I would have to say... Big surprise. Five blue chambray shirts for both. For sure. Fantastic. Uh, that leaves me. And uh, guys, we're going to have our first perfect score because I'm damn. going five oh, wow. out of five for both. It, the movie, so, so good. The book, first time reading it. And I loved how different it was, yet still the same. And I love that I just kept getting lost in what was happening. And I will would gladly sit down and read it again and watch the movie all over again. So it's yeah, fantastic. Perfect. Well, that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. 
Join us next episode for part two, where we will be covering the short story, Apt Pupil, and the movie, Apt Pupil. For Benjamin Graham and Joshua Kahn, I'm CM Alexander, reminding you that hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. This has been part one of different seasons, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com dairy and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's literally that easy. And easy is good, because you know it's hard? Finding the time to read some of these gigantic Stephen King books we have coming up. You guys know what I'm talking about. The Stand. It. Audible has these books and many more. They have an unmatched selection of not only audiobooks, but original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com dairy. And here's how you find us. Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send questions to our email, dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And you heard him, ladies and gentlemen. Send Ben $500. He knows where it goes. Or maybe his mouth is writing checks his butt can't cash. Goodbye, listeners.